Hi, welcome back to Molly Nook Podcasts. I'm your host, Matt Wilkinson. In this episode, I'm joined by Carolyn Rodier, an occupational therapist and assistive technology evaluator. Carolyn is also the co-founder of Ace Innovations and the business partner of Tanika Peart, who joined me in the third episode of this season to talk about Augmentative and Alternative Communication, or AAC. In this episode, Carolyn breaks down the basics of assistive technology, or AT, how AT can provide assistance for creators and spectators of the arts, as well as how her and Tanika came to found ACE, a company with the goal of providing assistive technology support for individuals from birth to geriatrics. Thanks for listening. All right. Um, my name uh, is Carolyn Rodier. I'm an occupational therapist and an assistive technology evaluator. Um, and I work mostly with the pediatric community. I'm a mom of three kids and um, that's about it. Well, and um, you work with a previous guest on this series, which is Tanika. Yes, I do. She and I um, are founders of a business called Ace Innovations, uh, where we try to provide uh, assistive technology and AAC um, for individuals who have limited mobility or speech um, and can run the gamut. I think Ace sounds really cool. I mean, it's definitely um, early days for us. So, I mean, we're really, we're really hoping that we'll be able to provide support to a large range of clients. Um, and it's, it's certainly, there's certainly a need for it. In, the, in New York City, it's pretty easy to access a lot of these things, but then when you get out to the suburbs where I live, it's really hard for families to find um, evaluators, especially evaluators to go into homes and I personally think that's really important because especially from a mobility aspect and a like home environment aspect, it's really important to see the individual in their, in their spaces so you know what the needs are more clearly. Well, I was going to ask, I would love to hear, how did the two of you come to want to create ACE? Like, what was the origins of that? Tanika and I are both evaluators for the New York City school system. And we've had the privilege of getting to work together. And we really, we have the same philosophy in how we see our patients or clients. And we just sort of started, it just sort of evolved over time where we would, after an evaluation, just say how much we enjoyed working with the other. And then we sort of came up with the idea and then one day I just, uh, I bought the domain. I was like, all right, we're doing it. Cool. <laughs> and we incorporated and stuff. So it's it just sort of, I just pulled the trigger essentially. And I think that's a good, so Tanika does the AAC side and you do yes. the assistive technology side? Correct. So I do, not only do I do the assistive technology side, but I also do the mounting aspect of it. And what mounting is, is, um, providing an appropriate location for if it's an AAC device, if it's eye gaze, let's say, if the individual has to control the computer with their eyes, finding the place where they are um, most effective in using eye gaze. Um, for example, you know, sometimes like a child with cerebral palsy, uh, we tend not to think about the fact that their extraocular muscles are potentially involved with 
any spasticity that they may have. So if they have spasticity to the point where they can't access a switch, let's say, or um, if they can't access a keyboard, chances are there's going to be some impairment in the extraocular muscles. So one of the things I look at is where, where the device should be placed. So if a child or an individual's eyes are being pulled in a, in a particular direction because of spasticity, I'll talk to Tanika about, well, can we block out those areas because that's a really difficult spot for that kiddo to access? And can we move everything over to the to the right, right quadrant, like um, upper and lower quadrant, those types of things. Um, but yeah, so so that's so I do mounting and then I also do AT. And AT runs the gamut between a pencil grip for someone who might have just some hand weakness or a slant board for a kiddo who doesn't have quite fully developed hand muscles um, to, you know, an eye gaze device where they're accessing the internet and typing with their eyes and, and things like that. So it's kind of a wide range. Yeah. Well, that's uh, assistive technology, I think, is so interesting. And um, I know that's the focus of our conversation today. One other quick thing I wanted to ask, though, was Tanika mentioned positioning is something that you do. Is that that's part of mounting? Yes. So positioning is incredibly important. Um, uh, one of the things you want to think about is when when you are relaxed and slouched, right, and you try to extend your arms out in front of you it's much harder to get your arms out in front of you than if you have a nice tall spine with a nice engaged core. It's much easier to reach your arms out, just mechanically better for the body to do that. So an individual with um, any, any type of physical disability that has either weakness associated with it or spasticity associated with it or you know, a fixed bony malformation, we wanna look at positioning so that the individual has the best access to their muscles and their body. So it might mean, you know, shifting a person back, you know, at a 15 degree tilt so that they then have gravity isn't working as hard against them if they're say trying to use their neck, you know, so, so positioning certainly is incredibly important. I just think it's amazing how far technology has come, assistive technology in particular, but it's just amazing, I think, in general, the supports that are now in place for somebody who has a physical disability, a cognitive disability. It's really, um, I don't know, it just feels good. It's, it's nice to know that these things exist now. Right. I mean, some of the things like the assistive technology that we tend to use for individuals who may have a learning disability or a cognitive disability are things that are now sort of ubiquitous in our, in, in our technology. Word completion, autocorrect. Um, speech to text, all of those things where if an individual has difficulty with spelling or um, if, if an individual has strong speech, but limited um, hand function, they can you know, speak into their device and draft work that way. Um, so it's really, it's incredible that now you're able to just open up a Google doc and, and, and enable uh, voice typing or on your, on your smartphone, uh, you know, you're able to use voice typing and these things that now are so common and where 15 years ago you had to 
have a standalone piece of software on a dedicated device for a child to have word prediction and auditory feedback and all these things. And, you know, then there were updates and everything crashed all the time. And now it's just sort of built in beautifully. And it really, it also, I think, makes people much more comfortable with the technology in general. It's not so, it's not so frightening to a parent or a teacher because these are all things that we're all familiar with. And I think just the fact that these supports, which were at one point more just assistive technology, have become accessibility options on any device. And I think, um, I think, I know with AAC, iPads made a really big difference within a few years of them coming out because you suddenly had something that could speak, that was very easy to access, that could speak for you as opposed to, you know, eight years ago or whatever, when you just had a piece of paper or like a laminated sheet with the images on it. Right. Or, or a dedicated speech device. And those, they were incredibly expensive. So trying to get, trying to get a school district or a, an insurance company to pay for an $8,000 device. Now it's a $400 iPad and, and app. It's a lot more, it's a lot more palatable yeah. to, to, the, to the, to the people who are funding it. And, un- and unfortunately that is, has to be a consideration when things are being recommended to individuals. Right. Well, I think we've, we've kind of danced around defining assistive technology right. uh, for a few minutes now. Do you want to, do you want to um, take that away? What, what is assistive technology? So assistive technology is any device that can assist or compensate for a disability of some kind. Um, and I know that's a really broad definition, but AT is really broad. So like I said, it can be as low tech as a as a pencil grip, um, and then as high tech as a as an eye gaze device that accesses the web and whatnot. Yeah, I mean this is like a super broad. This is one of the things I was looking into because um, I think from me coming into this, my perspective was assistive technology. I'm thinking of like very high tech devices like eye gaze, for example. Right. Um, but it could be a crutch, right? Like it's like a, I mean, you know, something that you used to walk with. Yes. It's just any technology that like you were saying is used to assist in a person's environment. Right. So I think that's the, it's, it's interesting that you say a a cane or a walker. I tend to just from my professional jargon, call that like a mobility aid, but it is, it is a type of assistive technology. It, yeah, it really is. You know, it could be, an adaptive spoon. So a child or an individual with Parkinson's, let's say they have spoons where with the intention tremor, the, the spoon stays, it, it wobbles at the handle. So the individual can bring their, the spoon to their mouth without spilling their soup or their rice, which of course is incredibly frustrating for someone who's, who's losing function. Um, so that's, a, that's an important area too. To, to realize that there are people who have these degenerative disorders where you might be starting at a lower lower end of AT and then having to step up the level of supports. Um, yeah, I mean, it's really amazing. Um, and I, it's, you're right, it's, it's so broad that it's kind of hard to almost know where to start in yes. our conversations yes. about <laughs> stuff like this. One thing that I'm curious about though is where, what got you interested in, um, becoming, I forget, what's your official title again? So I'm an occupational therapist mm-hmm. um, and an assistive technology uh, professional. 
That's the eight. one I was, yeah. <laughs> what got you, what, what got you on that path? Uh, actually it was, I used to work at a camp for children with physical disabilities. It was a sleepaway camp and I was a counselor there. And one of my kiddos had an AAC device and we're talking like, what, this is, this was when I was in college. So it was a long time ago. Um, and, but it was just, she was completely nonverbal, very little very little movement. Sometimes her yes and no was difficult to interpret because of the severe limitation of her, of her movement. But she was able to um, communicate with a, with a switch, a head switch and a scanning AAC device. And I just sort of fell in love with the idea of giving someone, opening doors for individuals who have a limitation that prevents them from accessing everything a typical developing per person accesses. Uh, and it's, occupational therapy can be a difficult profession sometimes because we don't always see gains, especially if we're working with someone with a degenerative disorder, um, you're seeing loss of function and our whole goal is to improve function. Uh, and, and AT, is a place where you can you can really make that happen for someone and and provide independence which is incredibly important yeah and i think this is something that i was going to ask you this is a great lead into this what would you say and we've kind of talked about this a little bit before but what are some of the goals i guess of assistive technology like you said accessing your environment is one is there anything else or is there anything more to it well, I mean, it does tie into the communication aspect of it because my, so as, as the AT evaluator, if we're looking at access, if we're looking at switches or eye gaze, so I, I would be looking at all the different ways for the individual to access the iPad or technology as effectively as possible. Um, so that, that would be one, th I mean, the goals, again, they're really broad and a lot of it has to do with what, what, it, what the individual's goals are. Mm -hmm. Right. As an occupational therapist, it's not my role to assign goals. I mean, it is on a technical professional level, but it's my it's I see it as my responsibility to collaborate with the family or the child or the teacher or the adult and find out what their goals are and then find the technology that fits those goals. Mm -hmm. The classic classic example is you know, maybe there's an older gentleman who's perfectly fine having his wife feed him. <laughs> like mm -hmm. he might, that might be like, I don't want to go through the trouble. If she's willing to feed me and it's okay with her, then we're not going to be looking at adaptive feeding devices. So it's really about finding out what is important to the individual and then coming up with the solution. Um, but generally goals would be, you know, eating. Um, there, now there's, I mean, with, with automation, like home automation is so easy. So maybe using an Alexa device with, with um, remote switches and uh, like light switches, or, you know, you can, I guess, I think you can use Alexa to turn your refrigerator up or down, you know, there's so many things for home access that are now more available. So it could be just a home access aspect. Again, the, the, the writing, the reading component um, for individuals who have learning disabilities is incredibly important. Mm -hmm. It's truly amazing to see a, you know, a fifth grade, student who's maybe reading on a kindergarten level because their their disability prevents them from 
decoding the words. So just knowing what the words on the page are, but then they listen to the passage or the book and they can answer the questions, no problem. You know, the, the freedom that that provides that individual. So it's, it's really, I, I it's kind of a non-answer because it is so broad. Um, but so, so goals are, you know, reading, writing, um, accessing recreational activities, activities of daily living, which are dressing, eating, all of those things. Well, it's, it's just amazing. It's something, this has come up uh, multiple times over the course of the AAC um, series that I did with mm -hmm. various guests. And it's this, um, it's something that we've talked about a little bit here too, which is um, a lot of the assistive technology devices that can be used by somebody who has a need for them are also things that are becoming more and more kind of what's the word I'm looking for? Not recreational, but they, commercial? a lot of these, yeah, commercial. A lot of yeah. these devices are things that are being sold as like, Oh, isn't this, doesn't this just make it more convenient for you? And it's right. just kind of, it's interesting seeing. And it's as, as an assistive technology evaluator, it's so exciting because obviously it brings prices down when you have a larger market. Mm -hmm. And I think, People, you know, companies are going to be more willing to put in the, the research and the development of these different technologies if they're not being sold to such a small market, mm -hmm. um, meaning only individuals with disabilities. So if it can be expanded into the general population, it's I think it just creates more access for individuals with disabilities. Definitely. Yeah, no, it's really cool. And in the last episode mentioned, Christine mentioned um, a lot of times technology that's just being developed independently of that thought can also be applied into a disability setting. So that's, it's just cool. We're in the middle of this, this very um, fast technological leap forward and yeah. all these different things are coming out that, that provide more access for everyone, but specifically also for people who have disabilities. It, it is, it is an incredibly exciting time. It's also um, an intellectually, uh, stimulating time for the people who are in the professionals in the <laughs> profession, because we have to really do our best to keep up with, you know, apps being updated or oh, yeah. technology being updated. So um, it kind of keeps, keeps us on our toes as well, that we wanting to be as current as possible. Well, let's, uh, I think one of the things that I find just so fascinating about both AAC and assistive technology is that there's a lot of personalization in play with them for an individual. Right. Mm -hmm. um, I know in the first episode I did about AAC, um, Kirsten talked about creating blocks like that, that were, had specific images on them that corresponded with her client's needs. Okay. So he could use the blocks to you know identify things that he needed. Um, have you ever, what I would like to hear, do you have any examples of have you ever had to, to jerry-rig something to become more specific? And what was that like? Um, exciting. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I have. And that's where, like, uh, that's one of the reasons I think Tanika and I, going back to why we work together, that, like our, our brains tingle when we have those complex spaces that we need to come up with solutions. Um, typically, the customization really does happen around um, either a low tech device, like a spoon or a grip, you know, sometimes a traditional grip doesn't work for, you know, a commercially traditional grip doesn't work. And so I'm making something out of, out of clay to fit the, the individual's hand 
or, you know, if, a, again, the commercially available adaptive um, feeding equipment, let's say, is not available, then you're looking at maybe customizing a grip or a strap or something so that the, the person can access that. And then on the other side, it's, it's a lot of the, the mounting and switch locations. Um, so, for example, if, if you're working with a patient with ALS, Lou Gehrig's disease, it's a degenerative neurological disorder. And the individuals can become very fatigued very quickly. So having multiple access points. So saying, okay, well, we're gonna do, we're gonna do a finger switch, but then when that, when those muscles get tired, maybe we'll go to a neuro node, which is this amazing, it's this amazing switch that um, it picks up on EEG signals. So perhaps the ALS patient then fatigues and can use just the electrical output from the muscle without seeing any functional movement. Uh, so they're, so you're kind of looking at multiple access points and multiple ways for the person to do maybe the same task. It might be accessing their AAC device, but you can't just be clicking a switch all day long because that, that hand is going to fatigue, but then also maybe trying to, to contract the bicep muscle is going to be fatiguing you know, or blinking can be fatigued, you know, so you look at multiple ways. So that's one of the ways that I really uh, have to customize recommendations for people. Yeah. Not so much with the technology mm -hmm. that hasn't been, that tends to be more, I think, um, more related to AAC, the technology, like, I mean, like the, the apps and those types of things, not much of that changes. Well, that's what I, I think the, the positioning and, and like you were saying, the switches, the switches are, are fascinating to me. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, the, the amount of ways that, that I've heard, like the, the variety of how a switch can be placed to give someone access is just so fascinating. They can use their head. It's, I mean, anything that can, that can press basically. Right. That's, I just think right. that's really cool. Right. And there, honestly, there's even, there's switches called proximity switches where you don't even have to touch the switch. Mm -hmm. You just have to get close enough to it. And this, and it picks up, I confess, I'm not sure how the technology works. I haven't looked into that, but I do know it works because I've seen it in action. Yeah. Um, so for example, if maybe an individual can just turn their head slightly, the proximity switch will, will um, register the movement and make the selection. All of this, I mean, I come from, my interest in a lot of these things relates to how they can apply to arts. Right. And uh, so a lot of this I'm learning as we go. And it is just, it is fascinating. Yes. And maybe we should bring this out more broadly. Um, Cause I, I mean, for this episode, since this is kind of the first time we're talking about assistive technology, I wasn't super focused on on the artistic side, but it sounds like right. this is something that you were thinking about um, coming into this. Were there any thoughts that you had in particular about assistive technology and the arts? I mean, yes. I, I, like I was saying earlier, you know, an individual who has who has a print disability and is reading on a first grade level, but has the cognitive capacity to read at whatever age they are. If they're interested in, I mean, I am by no means an artist, <laughs> unfortunately. I really appreciate the arts. I love music. I love going to shows. I love reading books. I just, it's, I appreciate the, the talent that it requires to do that, especially because I truly lack it. So when I look at things, I'm also looking at the arts from, from a, an audience member, uh, not as much as a, as a creator. Well, I think it's really important to consider that. Also, um, 
Yeah, I mean, that's what I was going to, the, I guess the, the problem with a question like that is assistive technology, there's so many different components to it that can provide that kind of access. So it's kind of like, you might as well just run down a list and say, well, here's all the ways that this could work, which, right. yeah, <laughs> how interesting <laughs> would that be, who knows? <laughs> yeah. But I think, uh, I think it's, I'm glad that you bring that up as a spectator, because I think there are a lot of ways still that the arts could be made more accessible for viewers and for um, actors. I think there's probably more of an emphasis on acting because mm -hmm. it's, or, you know, when I say acting, I mean acting within the arts and that could right. be anything. Yeah, I mean, spectators, they, they, to be able to view the arts or consume the arts in whatever way is something that, that everyone should have as much access to as, as we can possibly allow, so. Right. I agree. But it's interesting that you mentioned, so uh, I did in high school, I was part of a musical theater troupe that provided uh, performers who have Down syndrome the chance to take center stage. And not all of them were um, super verbal. So one of the things that, that they did was obviously there was an emphasis on dancing because a lot of them were really eager to get up there and dance, but they also included... Um, cards for one of the songs uh it was one of the songs from lion king i don't remember which one and they had uh laminated sheets of paper with the characters on them that they could hold up during those moments and that was great that was huge for them one of them right. got so excited he tossed it to the audience after the performance right. <laughs> <laughs> and it's um it's i mean just little simple things like that that you might not perceive as being oh well this is just something for them to do can make such a difference and i think that's a i think that's an amazing point is when we look at what participation is, it doesn't have to be what is typical, like acting, like what you're talking about, those people with whom you were working were acting or they were performing. It's not the traditional way we think of a, a live performance, but it is a performance. And I think it's important um, as, as a, as professionals for, for like for me in particular, just to, to remember that performance in a task doesn't have to simply be the, the way it's always been done. It can be modified and adapted. So that's, that's an, an important part of, of all of this is sometimes you adapt the environment by using the technology and sometimes you adapt the task and sometimes you do both so that the individual can be so excited that they're holding up a card that they're tossing it into the audience and and feeling that the performance and the excitement of that yeah yeah i think um i think that's a really really cool, that was a great point <laughs> that was super cool <laughs> i will say you've definitely given me a couple things that i want to think about and focus on because when i say i'm not an artistic person i I'm, i truly am science-minded <laughs> Mm -hmm. which is good for my clients. Mm -hmm. um, some of the questions you've asked have piqued my interest in, in looking at how can I make sure that I'm addressing this area for an individual, you know, making sure that if a client is enthusiastic about performing in some way or creating art in some way, that I make sure that I address that in my evaluation and make sure that I give the individual the opportunity to communicate their goals of creating art in some way or participating in art in some way. So thank you. Thanks again for listening to Molly Nook Podcasts. 
The intro song, and the song that you're listening to now, was written and performed by Anna Miller.